Hello. This is Joya Italiano. This is Jeff Ekman. And welcome to Oh, That's a Thing, a podcast about the real science and sci-fi movies. Even if you haven't seen the movie, don't worry. We use the movies as jumping off points for some pretty awesome and real topics. That's right. We're not experts at all. We're actually just a couple of goons who Googled some stuff. But this stuff is pretty cool. Yeah, so sit back, relax, maybe learn a thing or two. Here we go. Here we go. Welcome to the show, guys. Welcome. Are you ready to get mummified? <laughs> I'm not. I think it sounds terrible. It does sound terrible. Sounds like a terrible The process. mummification process is really not cool. Oh, man. You don't learned. want that done to you. We watched that crazy Brendan Fraser mummy. Yeah, I, the one from 99. I think it's 99. It was a big year. <laughs> yeah, it was 99. Right, but it was a remake of the mummy that was made in 1932. So yes. It was kind of this, I mean, it had a little bit of old school camp to it, no? Oh, absolutely. Let's take a <laughs> listen to the trailer. There is an ancient legend of a place known as the City of the Dead. I call it the doorway to hell. There's something out there. Something underneath that sand. They came to uncover its secrets. Mummies, my good son. This is where they made the mummies. They sought to unlock its treasure. And then there was light. I think this may be the Book of the Dead. You must not read from the book! You have unleashed the creature that we have feared for more than 3,000 years. We are in serious trouble. Universal Pictures invites you. This powers are growing. Run! This just keeps getting better and better. To experience the adventure. It appears he's already chosen his human sacrifice. That will live forever. If he turns me into a mummy, you're the first one I'm coming after. The Mummy. Okay, so that was that. Yeah. It. I don't think that that trailer really prepares you for how silly and campy the movie is it's like and fun yeah Yeah, well because okay clive barker was initially attached to this project Uh clive barker of hellraiser fame okay okay. so he made all those hair well the original hellraiser movies so the film was initially intended to be like this low budget horror movie with like a lot of violence and it's supposed to be super sexy Uh and like the whole premise was that it was the story revolving around the head of a contemporary art museum who turns out to be a cultist trying to reanimate mummies sure George A. Romero was brought in and like you know so they were gonna they were trying to make it more like Night of the Living Dead and whatever but then eventually they were like no that's way too scary and actually the effects team was told to steer clear of gore there was like a goreness threshold as they call it which makes sense because you're like there's not I mean, the mummy. There isn't gross. a lot of blood in this movie. Yeah, yeah the mummy looks gross. <laughs> as they, they say he's juicy. Yeah, he's juicy. I feel but... like Roger Ebert nailed his take on this movie. Mm-hmm. It's exactly how I feel, which is he said, there's hardly a thing I can say in its favor, except that I was cheered by nearly every minute of it. Right. I cannot argue for the script, the direction, the acting, or even the mummy, but I can say that I was not bored and sometimes I was unreasonably pleased. Exactly. And sometimes that's enough. I also read that, so they filmed a lot of it in Marrakesh and they had the official support of the Moroccan army and the cast members had kidnapping insurance taken out on them, which the director did not tell them until after shooting had finished. Whoa. Well, yeah, I mean, that's... <laughs> you don't got to be like, we got <laughs> kidnapping insurance taken out on you guys, so let's go. It's like I both understand why he didn't want to, like, freak people out, but also, are you going to really withhold that information from people? Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, you know, it worked out fine. Yeah. <laughs> A couple more tidbits. Leo DiCaprio was rumored to have been offered the role of Rick O'Connell, who's oh. Brendan Fraser's role, and he, <laughs> apparently he loved the script and was, like, super stoked about it, but mm. had already agreed to make The Beach. I don't uh. know if you guys remember. 
remember that classic Danny tale. boils the beach. Yeah, yeah. It's also said that he was asked if the beach could be postponed, but it couldn't. It, so that <laughs> the role beach was had to get up. made right That's then. right. Did you know that Imhotep, who's the, the mummy in this movie, mm-hmm. that's actually the name of the architect who developed the first pyramids in ancient Egypt? Really? Did you know there was any basis of fact in this film? Well, I assumed there was something. <laughs> Although I did read that Habunaptra was made by the movie. Like, that was That wasn't, whole area? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, there was like, I went to the Wikipedia page for Hamunaptra and it was like, it is a fictional city right. in <laughs> Egypt that was invented by the movie The Mummy from 1999. Right, we were hoping that there was like some yeah. utterance of Hamunaptra at some point. Atlantis has like exactly. history There's at element. least some, some like mythology to mm-hmm. it. They were just like, Hamunaptra. <laughs> Sounds, Hamunaptra. <laughs> but anyway, the real Imhotep, you know, they later said, of course, that he was descended from the gods and he wasn't like a hated character like our friend the mummy who got uh, mummified for being a what a cuckold of uh, no the no the, the opposite of the opposite cuckold. Of cuckold. he cuckold he's the, the cuckerer the, he's a cuckerer i don't know what that verb is the emperor was cucked <laughs> so they are deciphering hieroglyphics in this and hieroglyphics were deciphered using that famous rosetta stone and oh. so the Rosetta Stone was discovered in 1799, and it had the same inscription translated into three different languages, Demotic, Ancient Greek, and Hieroglyphic. And because we could only read Ancient Greek, this allowed us to read Hieroglyphics and Demotic. Oh, my God. The Rosetta Stone. The Rosetta I'd Stone. I had no idea what the history of that was. It, it, it's what unlocked Hieroglyphics to the modern age. Cool. Uh, but, like, specifically Egyptian Hieroglyphics? Yes. Or just in, oh, yeah. nice. Because right Demotic is a later Egyptian language, right. whereas Hieroglyphics are the ancient ones. And it was like decree from Ptolemy the fifth mm-hmm. and just translated into multiple languages. That's cool. Yeah. Once you know hieroglyphics, you can know what those were translated into and stuff yeah. like that. So it was really as big of a deal as it's famous for being. Wow. Pretty rad. Mm-hmm. I like it. Have you ever used Rosetta Stone? Our Rosetta Stone? No, no. You mean the program? Yeah, yeah. No. It, that's what I mean by R, obviously. <laughs> our Rosetta Stone. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no. is it? I've heard it's like the best way to learn a language. I mean, it has some pretty strong origins. (laughs) I've been like going crazy on Duolingo. You familiar? No. It's just an app on the phone. Anything that you can make into kind of a game, I'm like fucking practicing my Italian. I've heard of Duolingo. You're practicing Italian? Oh, big time. Every single night. That's great. Anyway, tangential scene. Yeah, no, I mean, we're sharing our lives with you guys. It's Rosetta Stones. (laughs) You're Rosetta Stoned, man. (laughs) Oh, shit. Ow! Let's get into some fun mummy facts. You ready? I'm ready. This is what I had learned growing up, right? That it was widely believed in ancient Egypt that once a king died, his body would need to be preserved so that his soul could travel to the next world. Mm -hmm. That's where mummification came from. And then the pyramids were just these giant tombs that were built to protect those pharaohs. Mm -hmm. Of course, on the other hand, poor Egyptians were just buried in sand. So the (laughs) mummification thing in Egypt was at least initially more for royalty. I, I found out that South Americans were the first people who actually started mummifying dead people that was 2,000 years before Egyptians started the process of mummification 2,000 years they were the first isn't that crazy yeah so the, specifically the Chinchoro people I'm not sure how you say that but they lived on the coast of the Atacama Desert which is modern day Peru and Chile this is about 7,000 years ago okay. As, wow yeah it's crazy that's the so, very beginnings of, yeah, of, of, of civilization So the dead bodies had their organs removed, their skin was sewed back, and their bodies were painted black from head to toe. And then they put these wigs on the heads. So it's kind of creepy looking, but then they like left the eyes and the mouth open. 
And there's not like really any conclusive theories as to why they did this, but a lot of people believe that it's because the the dry climate of the desert made it so that decomposing didn't happen as huh. actively. Which and I didn't then, know that, like the dryness, like not letting the moisture, mm-hmm. you know, damage. Well, the a big bodies. part of it is getting moisture out of there. Yeah, why don't you tell us some of the? Well, because just thinking about all these things in terms of we still do this today, mm-hmm. and I wasn't really thinking about it like, like embalming, embalming yeah. and stuff like that, and like that. Really, all it is is it's a preservation of the body after death for as long as possible in the casket. Right. So here's the step-by-step process of how mummification took place. Gross. Yeah, it's an 11-step process. Oh, my God. So first, you insert a hook through a hole near the nose or through the nose and pull out part of the brain. Like, what you do is you get up in the brain, you scramble it around so it liquefies, and then it all you, like, tip the head forward, and then all the brains just, like, kind of Whoa, out yeah. of the so nose. Yeah, so Rachel Weiss kind of talked about that. She talked mm-hmm. about, like, a hot iron rod. and So the yeah. scrambling is what makes it go goo. Yeah, it, oh, it, it allows the brain to come out the nose via goo instead That's... of, like, a whole formed a brain. brain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. So that's step one. Step two, make a cut on the left side of the body near the tummy. Remove all internal organs. (laughs) Technical term, tummy. (laughs) the tummy. Uh, (laughs) Remove all internal organs. Let the internal organs dry. Then you place the lungs, the intestines, stomach, and liver inside canopic jars, Mm -hmm. which, again, in the movie, they have these jars underneath the the tomb. Like the sacred jars, Mm -hmm. whatever. Step six, uh, <laughs> place the heart back. Do those each have their own yeah, step? Yeah, yeah, each oh, one. Okay. Right. Steps. Step two through, through six. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not Organs. like always numbering them. <laughs> right. <laughs> so place the heart back inside the body. Okay. Oh. Yeah, the heart was supposed to stay inside the body. And then the, often they would put a scarab on top of the heart as like a protector. Protector. Because the heart was supposed to speak for the person Absolutely. in the afterlife. Right. So you, then you rinse the inside of the body with wine and spices. Oh, sounds like a great date. Yeah. Well, it's a, at least like, you know, you're marinating. <laughs> you're getting a good, a good brine on it. That's funny. Cover the corpse with a specific type of salt. Okay. And then you do that for 70 days. And the salt will remove pretty much all the moisture from the body. After 40 days, you're supposed to stuff the body with linen or sand to give it a more human shape. Right, because otherwise point, it's just like soggy McSoggerson. Uh, it, like, well, it's like dry, dry McDryerson. Right, like, yeah, jerky uh, style. Like, yeah, real, like, yeah, you're a real jerky. You're a real jerk. So after 70 days, then you wrap the body from head to toe in bandages. And then step 11, place in a sarcophagus. <laughs> That's like one of those like step five. Enjoy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like making a hot pocket. Enjoy. <laughs> Buon appetito. So it's like it's kind of a simple process in that it, it makes sense. You're removing the, the gooey mm-hmm. organs that have moisture. You're drying you it out. And you but did they put them in the jars to just store them or was it also like your your organs are going to go with you into the afterlife do you I, know I, well i think that they would let the internal organs dry and then put them in the jars and then the jars would go with the with tomb them, so right. that as like part of the thing but the heart was a special thing where they would put that back in the right. body cavity a lot of these pharaohs or royalty or whatever they were buried with their most prized possessions treasures and all like and, treasures. Mm. I also read that cats who died were also mummified with the king since they were thought to be very sacred animals. Ooh. We saw that in the movie where um, Imhotep is all like terrified of the cat and he's like, turns <laughs> yeah. into sand, yeah. sands his way out of there. He sands his way yeah. out. Yeah, so, so that is true. And I, I wasn't sure exactly why the, the cats became worshipped. Mm. I mean, I'm super down with that because cats are where it's at, but... They're so mysterious. Yeah, <laughs> but they at that time they were considered to be the harbinger of good luck because cats could kill vermin 
and poisonous snakes. So, you know, you're like oh. very utilitarian, but still you're like, damn, really changed my life since I brought cat around and yeah. I don't have to worry about all these There aren't mice. any rats so much. Yeah. Oh, that's a great thing. House cat. I didn't even think about them <laughs> like that. Right. I mean, I when I was in New York, I had to get it. I mean, I had to severe air quotes there but i had to get a cat because we had a mouse problem and i was like well wow i mean i've been wanting a cat pretty hard but now it's necessary yeah. so i could justify it to myself so it was also cool to read about the pyramids because it's yeah. crazy that they're still up after all these years although not really because they're massive structures with really great <laughs> yeah. foundations and everything. right it's like the fundamental <laughs> shape of it is yeah. like one that can withstand like super intended to withstand all of the elements and everything mm -hmm. but just to know the the symbolism of it so upon his death the king while buried in the tomb he represented Osiris the setting of the sun while the new pharaoh his son represented Horus which is the rising of the sun so that's also why it was so imperative to preserve the bodies of the dead kings in order to continue the cycle of sun setting and sun rising ah. yeah they clearly didn't believe in like the soul mm -hmm. leaving elsewhere like they really thought like the whole mummy went with them into right. the afterlife like, which I think right? makes more cool? sense to me because like it's an abstraction conceptually yeah. that you would have like a spirit that right. is separate from your body but then that also makes sense to me because a living body and a dead body you're definitely going like well something something's in there <laughs> right, right? right. <laughs> but to think about like all of these these pharaohs or royalty anybody being buried with all of their prized possessions obviously that leads to tomb robbing mm. so people are like stealing all of their shit and so that's sort of where this idea of the curse of the pharaoh started. Like, uh. those rumors started spreading around the 7th century when the Arabs arrived in Egypt. Basically fearing that the mummies would be stolen for the antiques who were buried with them. The mummies were said to have been, you know, protected with a curse that would be laid upon anybody who would put their hands mm. on the tomb, mm. which, which which is what happens in our, in our movie, The Mummy. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, no archaeologist has been able to trace the origin of the curse, but the stories have been floated since 1923 after this archaeologist named Howard Carter discovered King Tut's grave. He tried to peek into the structure along with his excavation sponsor. So both of them basically, they died later. There was like blood poisoning involved and Howard Carter died in 1939. So they associated him taking a peek at King Tut with being the reason why he later died. Right, but he died 16 years later because it was like all of the people who went in that tomb died. But yeah. actually there were eight who died in the first 12 years. Yeah. And most of those weren't actually that suspicious. Right. And then like the newspapers really wanted to sensationalize the curse. Although there is a story about Howard Carter, after he went into the tomb, a snake ate his canary oh. at his house. Uh -huh. Like there was like this stuff about like he had brought this golden bird that was going to show the way oh, to the tomb. And then, yeah, like as he went into the thing, apparently at the same time back home, a snake came and ate the bird. Right. Like there were people who went in who died in the 60s. Like Right, right. It's also preposterous to be like, and he got this mysterious blood disease. You're like, it was right. the 20s, dude. Right. People died of shit all right. the fucking time. Because I read a bunch about ancient booby traps. Mm -hmm. Some of the ancient booby traps used stuff like anthrax, mm -hmm. which they certainly didn't fully understand at the time, but it would kind of act like a curse if you think about it. Right. Like you go into a place and it's got anthrax in it. And then over the next couple of weeks, people start coughing up blood and dying. Right. Like right. you would think not knowing how anthrax works, mm -hmm. that that would have been a curse. Mm -hmm. So diseases being put into tombs, it makes sense to me that that would be like, right. Well, like before, it's a curse. before we really had much knowledge of like chemical weaponry and stuff, right. because like, well, even in the movie they had, I was like pressurized salt acid when mm -hmm. the 
dudes are digging around and that gets blasted in their face. Right. But really, that's just like physics. You put the right. thing in the thing and it blasts out. Also, salt and acid are opposites, so that kind of <laughs> doesn't really make any sense. But, but if you but say salt acid, you're like, I get it. Yeah. And then it's going to make you dry up like, like salt on <laughs> right. a slug. I get right, it. Right, right. So another technique was that ancient Egyptian engineers would cover the tomb floors with hematite powder, which is a sharp metallic dust that causes a slow and painful death if you inhale enough of it. Who would do this? The ancient Egyptian engineers, like for the tombs. Because there were like the pyramid tombs, but then there were like a lot of high level, but not that level tombs. Right. So like regular people were buried in the sand, whatever. But there were a lot of people who were buried in like pretty middle class tombs. Middle class tombs. Exactly. Even in 2001, this archaeologist, Dr. Zahi Hawass, who apparently people call like the real life Indiana Jones. I'll take their word for it. Sure. Whatever, man. (laughs) (laughs) He found a sarcophagus booby trapped with eight inches of hematite powder and had to abandon the expedition until they could come back with hazmat suits and respirators. Gotcha. Okay, so now I definitely know what you mean in terms of like if you had no idea that these engineers just did this, that you would be like, from whence did this booby trap And like over the next few days, I started coughing up blood and, you know. God, those fucking Egyptians were smart, weren't they? They were. Another technique was hanging a razor sharp invisible wire exactly at neck level. Ouch. So they'd get clotheslined. Yeah, by a sharp razor blade. Oh, man. It's worth talking about how the idea that an ancient booby trap would stand the test of time and still work perfectly today is, like, really unlikely. Sure. Like, in video games or in Indiana Jones, you pull a lever and you hear, like, a mechanism whirs into action and, like, a gate opens and you're like, huh, that was pretty well-oiled machinery right. <laughs> right, for yeah, exactly. a thousand years of Thanks, breakdown. Thanks, Raider. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Exactly. And, you know, if you hold, like, a crossbow taut for a thousand years and right. then you can, like, drop the latch on it, but, like, the string is going to be all loose. Right. But the Chinese have still not fully explored Emperor Qin Shi Huang's tomb, which was found in the 70s, and it's because they think that there's still pressure plate crossbow traps, oh which were carefully coated with a preservative called chromate, so they might still work 2,000 years later. So they just haven't even fucking explored They've, it? like, specifically stopped exploration of this tomb. Oh, my God. Apparently, he had rivers of mercury involved in the tomb. And, like, they have tested the air and the soil in the tomb. And they've found mercury levels 100 times greater than it should be. So they're very careful about exploring further. I guess now with the robotics and technology and stuff, it would be possible to send a little drone in there just to right. get, a, get a sense of what's in that there. That is a good idea. Right? But then, you know, do you want to find a way to preserve the traps too? Or do you want to let the robot take the bullet? I guess I don't really know. Why wouldn't we want to know? Why I wouldn't know. we want to know our history? Like, truthfully, what good is it going to do undiscovered? So I don't know. Maybe maybe there's a way to at least see what's in there yeah. and maintain the the booby traps. So yeah. that's why I'm thinking like a little tiny droney guy. <laughs> yeah, can, yeah, like, yeah. Can, like, there's sense. also ultrasonic techniques to see if there's like eight chambers and stuff like that. Right. But this same emperor, this is Emperor Qin Shi Huang. He was the one with the terracotta army that you maybe have heard about. I haven't. Oh, no? Oh, no, my, my God. God. you got to see the image of this. We'll post this online. Okay. He was buried with a terracotta army. So it was like full human size made out of terracotta that I don't know how to describe how many of them there are. What? Without... Just like a bunch of sculptures? He was buried with this entire army and they were supposed to guard him in the afterlife. That's... And my understanding, by the way, is that the third mummy from 2009 is all about the terracotta army the 
third mummy starring Tom Cruise? No, the third mummy starring Brendan Fraser, which came out in 2009, oh, that's like much right. later. There was one that everybody oh forgot God. about. And yeah, that's right. That okay. was all about the Terracotta Army. Oh, shit. But yeah, it, this is a really insane thing. He was clearly one of the biggest, most badass emperors ever. <laughs> okay. Because I guess the army even had like its weapons coated in this incredibly expensive preservative. And the, so the terracotta army, yeah, the terracotta weapons? army's Holy weapons. Holy shit, dude! Yeah, they wow, they have their belief in the afterlife, huh? Uh, for real, they really put their money where their mouth they was. Put their money where their mouth was. Okay, I learned some interesting things about fucking people, man. <laughs> between the, <laughs> yeah, between the 16th and 19th centuries, people were fucking weirdos. So apparently, artists between that time period used a type of brown paint called quote mummy brown that was made up of ground up mummies. What? <laughs> Come on. The powder made from you know the powder of yeah, the mummies, yeah. mummy powder was they, mixed with white pitch and myrrh to produce a rich brown pigment. So when you said you learned about people, you meant it more directly than I imagined. Literally, figuratively, every level. It's like, <laughs> mummy brown is people. Soylent green is people. No, I, that's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there you go. You're ahead of me. Right, that's I don't right. know what you're talking about. But yeah, I know that glue was made from horses. Why not make paint from humans? Humans? That's what crazy. else are you guys doing? <laughs> but what was crazy is mummy brown was also used in medicines. It was known as mummy powder. Oh. It contained bitumen, which was used by the ancient Greeks to cure a variety of diseases. And there's apparently still a like a modern day mummy brown pigment, but it's composed of you know a mixture of like kaolin quartz, guthed, and hermaphrodite. Yeah, they don't. It's do, not genuine they anymore. Didn't, they didn't respect the mummies at the time. It was <laughs> fucking crazy because like even during the Victorian era, they had these mummy unwrapping parties, which oh. is literally. Guys. Unwrapping a mummy in your fucking parlor. Like, yeah. You could just be Everybody like, get your brandy. Right. We're going to unwrap time, the mummy. Right. At the time, like, mummies could be purchased from street vendors to be used as main events for they their were little this parties. Common? Correct. Wow. Not only were they this common, but you know, nobody cared about, like, learning the history of it. It was like fucking dead people. But still, it's like, are you really going to invite people over and be like, let's uh, peel back the cloth? Yeah, let's see what this old dead guy looked like. <sighs> crazy was his mouth open screaming yeah exactly how do you think he died guys <laughs> past the shibli yeah is that it the sucks. pictionary of its day it's like the victorian era man get man. over yourselves anyway <laughs> also in the 16th and 17th century many europeans including priests royalty scientists they used something called mummia and this was powdered mummy that was applied to the skin or it was mixed into drinks as a treatment for bruising and other ailments. Mm. Skull was one common ingredient taken in powdered form to cure head ailments. Oh, of course it was. Very literal. Yeah. Blood was procured as fresh as possible. They believed that rubbing fat on an ache will ease the pain and you could apply the the powdered mummy up your nose and that'll help with nosebleeds and oh, this kind God. of shit. Yeah. Like, like snorting lines of mummy? Yeah. I don't know if they snorted it or what. I don't know what they're rubbing. Up their What's nose. The what like, like it's a are, powder. We're still at the... I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, know Jeff. <laughs> but anyway, so like... Yeah, this the, basically they just believed like a- ancients had told them that you know you're essentially using the power of the mummy like you're just using mm. their life force mm-hmm. and I feel like that kind of shit you know whether it's sacrifices or cannibalism and that kind yeah. of shit I could see the thing but it's just like really guys I thought we were civilized <laughs> I think it's also you know we're coming from such a sensibility where like so much work has gone into preserving these mummies and right. it's it's almost like the desecration of right, the mummy right. more than the grossness of like yeah, because yeah, medicine yeah, yeah. of your it was all over the fucking place totally. leeches and you know this kind of shit but the the idea of another 
human being yeah. that you're like, well, I'm going to put you on my nose I now. <laughs> I, apparently in 1971, workers that were digging in an air raid shelter near the city of Changsha uncovered a Han Dynasty era tomb belonging to Xin Zui. That all pronunciation all the time. <laughs> So she was the wife of the ruler of the Han Imperial fiefdom of Dai, and she was found in an airtight tomb 12 meters underground, locked inside four layers of coffins. She had this thick layer of white paste-like soil on the floor around her, and her body had been buried in 20 layers of silk. She was found in 80 liters of some unknown liquid. <laughs> I still oh, don't no. know what it is. And she died between 178 and 145 BC, so she was about 2,100 years old. Okay. And her mummy was recovered. She had moist skin. Her joints were still flexible, and every feature remained intact down to her eyelashes and the hair in her nostrils, including blood that ran in her veins. Whoa. Well, because of that crazy preservation that they did, mm -hmm. like completely kept from all of the elements. Wow. And what they discovered is that the autopsy revealed that she died from a heart attack due to obesity. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like not to be insensitive, but it's like not only the preservation, but also it's like she had a lot of fat to get it's through. Fucking cholesterol in this heart. She was still juicy, oh, just like Imhotep. <laughs> Weird story. Archaeologists in 2001 found a pair of 3,000-year-old skeletons. One was male and one was female. They were lying in the fetal position. What was crazy is that the male skeleton was actually composite wherein its torso, skull, neck, and lower jaw belonged to three separate men. Okay. The female skeleton was also a composite formed from a male skull, a female torso, and the arm of a third person whose gender is yet to be determined. They did some carbon dating on this, and they indicated that the skull of the female mummy was probably 50 to 200 years older than the torso. They also determined that the bodies had been placed in a peat bog just long enough to preserve them and then were removed, and then they were reburied hundreds of years later. What kind of what weird happened? shit was going? They don't know. 3,000 years old? How the fuck would we know? Kooky. What were, who was deciding what and why? Well, and the fact that like 50 to 200 years, so it's like somebody found a, a skeleton right. and then decided to combine it. They, you know that they were like, hey, 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 let's play a prank yeah, yeah. or something. Like what went on there? Wow. Right? I read that. I was like, fuck. And I love all of the carbon dating that we're able to do or we're able to answer mm -hmm. so many questions, but there's just some shit that you're not. I don't know how they would discover what happened here unless they've discovered some writing. Right. Or, you know what I mean? No, I mean, I mean, it could have been just some crazo. Yeah, it could have been a crazo. Just, yeah. I mean, I can't even come up with like a joke explanation for no. what happened there. It makes no sense to me. Creepy, man. Yeah. But thinking about, yeah. too, just that mismatching of bones, I believe there was a dinosaur, I think it was the Brontosaurus, uh -huh. that isn't actually a dinosaur, because when they discovered it, it was actually two different species of dinosaurs really? that they thought was one, and so it was an invented dinosaur that we now know doesn't exist. No fucking way. Yeah. For real? Yeah. I have a couple more fun mummy stories. You want to hear it? Oh, I want to hear it. Cool. So this neurobiologist at the University of Southern California performed CT scans to analyze the arteries of 137 mummies that spanned over 4,000 years. And the mummies belong to the Peruvian, ancestral Pueblo Indian, indigenous Aleutian Islander, and ancient Egyptian populations. So those were the particular ones they were focusing on. And the scans revealed that calcium deposits had narrowed the arteries, resulting in a heart disease known as atherosclerosis. Who knows if that's how you say that. <laughs> but they also observed clogged arteries in mummies that had a background in consuming only grain-based diets and mainly meat and fish. So it was just interesting to hear that researchers saying that heart diseases are just 
an unavoidable process of human aging. And yeah, it's not yeah. necessarily like us and our crazy fast food diets. Right. I'm sure that doesn't help, but I didn't realize that. I assumed like all of them were probably just really healthy, just eating straight from the, the earth. Well, I mean, at a certain point, yeah. you're going to be, your heart is going to be a little diseased. But yeah. yeah, that is a good point about like thinking about like obese people yeah. in, in ancient times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's just this idea that it's a very modern disease. And right. yes, it's gotten to like epidemic proportions, mm-hmm. but that still at least tells you like there's just some people that have different metabolisms. Yeah. Yeah, or yeah. you know they've always had different dieting issues and health ailments. Well, and... I like sometimes heart disease and cancer is called like the last big bullies on the block. Right. Because sure. like we've I maybe even said that before on the podcast. Yeah, like that... we, we've taken down polio, we've taken down this and that, totally. all these things that killed people earlier than heart disease and cancer we're going to eventually get them. Exactly. And so now we're dealing with those. You're just always going to get older. I mean, it's possible that there's something beyond cancer and heart disease that we don't even know about. I'm sure there will be. There probably will be. Yeah. <laughs> life always finds a way, even if it's killer life. Yeah, it finds a way to kill you. Final fun mummy story. In 1992, German scientist Dr. Svetla Balabanova was studying mummified remains of Lady Hanut Tawi. She died in Egypt 3,000 years ago. And she was shocked to discover that the mummy contained traces of nicotine and cocaine. Those results were cross-examined and tested over and over again. They always came out with the same results. Hmm. And it was really interesting to hear that scientists and archaeologists speculate that ancient Egyptians must have traveled to America as early as 1000 BC because nicotine and cocaine hadn't been transported to Egypt at that point. Okay. So they like they hadn't been transferred there until the Victorian era. So the theory is that he had gone. The theory is that she, the she, the, she had, yeah, had like that taken she had a trip. traveled to America. Nobody really knew about the travelings of Egyptians at that time. Okay. But to think that someone who was living in Egypt, how long ago did I say three thousand years ago, had traces of nicotine and cocaine in her system means that she must have traveled to America. So there's no chance that like a little bit of it was brought back and then she experienced it there. It's like they really believe that she went to America and tried it there. That's not the point. The point is nobody thought that the Egyptians were going to America. Oh, just at all. <laughs> at all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So like, so because like 3,000 years ago, would you have imagined that, that I got Egyptians you. Yeah, are... no. So, okay. It's not like, well, I mean, she must have taken a trip. It's right. Like, no, it was like, it's like, we, we didn't know Egyptians that Egyptians took trips? Yeah. Okay. I got gotcha, you. Right. I got gotcha. you. Wow. You know, and even to us, it's like 100 years ago seems like a crazy long time ago. 3,000 years ago? How the (laughs) fuck did they... I didn't even... Like, I didn't know what their, like, naval capacity was Well, that's the thing. I've actually seen a Nova documentary about the first seafaring Egyptian ships right. and they were like the first people to figure this out but when exactly they were able to do it and Unclear. even then it's possible that you could get lucky on a raft yeah you yeah. know sure. it, so do you need these seafaring ships that right. we now like could withstand a storm not necessarily mm-hmm. you just have to get really lucky that like an open ocean storm wouldn't ca- hit you the extent to which ancient Egyptians had contact with the Americas is very unclear so mm. I would really like to look into any of that kind of cross-referential history of like in this one tribe in the Latin America we noticed that there were similarities yeah. in that's what you know what I mean like I, I hadn't even that. thought about that kind well, of shit it sounds like we gotta do the mummy returns I guess we do <laughs> fuck no <laughs> <laughs> no so mirages they're known to be like fucking people up in the desert we've all seen them usually driving on a highway on a hot day it looks in the distance like there's like a pool of water or something on the ground Mm -hmm. and then when you show up it's like there's no water at all it's actually caused by light refraction which is the bending of light beams Mm -hmm. light bends when it passes from colder air to warmer air and a mirage occurs when there's a quick shift in the air density or the temperature 
So because on a hot summer day, the asphalt is baking in the sun, it's a lot hotter directly above the asphalt than it is above that. Right. So the light that's going from the cool air through the warm air that's like directly above the asphalt, it bends and creates this illusion that is a mirage. Okay. So anything that's super hot, like a desert sand or a hot road, can create this image of water. And it's just that the light bends when it hits the hot air. Right. Light perception am i right we just see what we want to see it's in the eye of the beholder (laughs) you know how in this movie there's a bunch of scarabs running around yeah and they like the scarabs are like burrowing into the guy's brain yeah they like come out of a scarab amulet yeah exactly the amulet thing well i was looking into that a little bit in ancient egyptian religion scarab is an important symbol in the form of the dung beetle the dung beetle lays its eggs in dung balls fashioned through rolling The scarabs were then associated with the divine manifestation of the early morning sun, Kepri, whose name was written with the scarab hieroglyph and who was believed to roll the disc of the morning sun over the eastern horizon at daybreak like the dung beetle rolls his poop balls. That's a great thought. I love that. I was like, life! Oh, it's great! (laughs) So yeah, the scarab hieroglyph refers to different ideas of like existence and manifestation, development, growth, and effectiveness. A lot of times the scarabs would be made out of just like various materials. They would just be like the actual object, but like the most common use was like the seals on either envelopes or seals. Like then there there would be different like motifs and titles of officials that were written and then they were just later used as a bunch of different designs, inscriptions, that kind of thing. So it's like the symbol that they just mass produced. <laughs> they, they were like, we got a rubber stamp and it looks like a scarab. Yeah. Later in the, in the New Kingdom, in later times, large scarabs were made out of basalt. And they were placed on the hearts of mummies, like you were saying before, and they were identified with the heart of the deceased. And a winged scarab might also be placed on the breast of the mummy, and later a number of other scarabs were placed about the body. So they're just winged on your heart, and they're just all around you, just protecting you into the afterlife. Yeah, the more the merrier, right? Exactly. Although in this movie, it doesn't suggest that they're very nice or going to protect you at all. But I guess they protected Imhotep. Yeah, that's right. Well, they were like controlled by Emotep in the mm-hmm. movie. I don't know. He they cover you with scarabs and they all like eat you like they're piranha. Right, exactly. It was a great opportunity to have a bunch of like CG beetles going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the goriest that the movie got too. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about face matches and not the kind you think. <laughs> I'm not sure what I'm thinking. You know where you match faces that look similar. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that an app? Is that what I the new kids are doing? Okay. <laughs> what I really mean is when people, because in this movie, they have matches and they strike them on their face. <laughs> right. And to light a match is what I'm talking about. <laughs> face matches. Grizzle. <laughs> I looked into whether or not that's actually possible, and I learned that there are two types of matches. There's safety matches and there's strike anywhere matches. Right. Now, safety matches, you can only strike on the box. And the way that works is that a safety match uses potassium chlorate in the match head and then requires red phosphorus as a reactive agent on the striking surface. Mm-hmm. And that's usually included on the box. Strike anywhere matches has phosphorus sequisulfide and potassium chlorate in the match head together. Right. And then all it needs is a hard, dry surface with enough friction. Okay. Now, that said... 
your face is not good enough. <laughs> so there's not enough friction to make it happen. And there's a bunch of YouTube clips of people lighting matches on their face, but it's always kind of hidden or obscured right. in a way where it's like, apparently the way they do it is they tape a piece of flint to their face and then say, that part of their face is away from the camera and they strike the match. Well, I feel like that imagery of a man striking a match on his face, it's always on his like, five o'clock shadow yep, or like yep. there's some kind of grizzle so that that's what I always assumed is what right I, I figured like if you were really at the right stubble <laughs> your face is too soft <laughs> yeah yeah I mean especially Brendan Fraser's face yeah he's no a fucking baby way face. he had no hair he had no, oh, yeah, you're not yeah. lighting a match on Rick that O'Connell but you can strike and strike anywhere match on your teeth though oh so, don't give me any idea I know you'd have to like dry out you'd have to be like yeah like <laughs> yeah. breathe through no yeah, moisture like, pull, the, pull those little teeth back I look like a meerkat it's like fire marshal bill that's right my lips have been burned off holy shit balls do you want to talk about the plagues oh boy the ten plagues of Egypt I've also known as more. the biblical plagues yeah let's talk about it let's do it he's like I've never been more I'm like well I don't care we're gonna talk about it <laughs> So I'm not a religious woman, Jeff, but I have heard of the Ten Plagues of Egypt, and I've also seen The Prince of Egypt, which is a delightful animated film. So you get it. That's all you need to know. That's all I need to know. But the biblical plagues, they're described in Exodus 7 through 12, for those of you who don't know. They were ten disasters sent upon Egypt by God to convince Pharaoh to free the Israelite slaves from the bondage and oppression that they had endured in Egypt for 400 years. When God sent Moses to deliver the children of Israel from bondage in Egypt, he promised to show his wonders as confirmation of Moses' authority. And it was meant to serve two purposes, both to, you know, obviously prove some shit to Pharaoh, but also to prove to the Israelites who were pretty down and out that there was still yeah. a reason to believe in God. They're like, 400 years, man, we've been worshiping you. And yeah. You're not going to do anything? Yeah, <laughs> can we get some can help? Can we get, like, 10 helps? Yeah. It's interesting to put... The idea of like monotheism and then like the multi-deity mm-hmm. ideas of uh, Egyptians face to face. So this was the other idea was that God was supposed to show Pharaoh that it's like your multiple gods are nothing in comparison to just mm-hmm. the one the one true God. So like in Egypt, obviously, there was like the God of the sun, the river, childbirth, crops and everything. So all of these plagues were supposed to attack those individual gods Mm, i didn't even think about it like that like they were specifically 10 different gods of different things yeah and then the 10 plagues or or there might be some overlap but they were like Mm. separate god and all of the totally makes sense yeah it's super cool so that's the 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 biblical context for it but you know historians have suggested that the plagues are passed down accounts of several natural disasters or others that might have been playing part in some kind of chain reaction Mm -hmm. so let's go through what the plagues are because to me i needed a little refresher but then also what those natural explanations could be Mm -hmm. ready First plague, turning the Nile to blood. This was supposed to be a judgment against Apis, who is the god of the Nile, Isis, who is the goddess of the Nile, and Knum, who was the guardian of the Nile. The Nile was also believed to be the bloodstream of Osiris, who was reborn each year when the river flooded. So the river formed the basis of daily life and the national economy. That was devastated. You know, millions of fish died and the water was unusable and that kind of thing. Pharaoh was told, by this you will know that I am the Lord. A possible natural explanation could be that rising temperatures could have turned the Nile into a slow-moving, muddy water course. Mm. Conditions favorable for the spread of toxic freshwater algae. As the algae dies, it turns the water red in a phenomenon known as burgundy blood. Oh, I've heard about these like red plumes or something. Yeah. So this could be as a result of an environmental change such as drought. Uh And that could have contributed to the spread of this type of bacteria, which generally thrives in kind of like stagnant oxygen deprived water. That makes sense. Right. Second plague, bringing frogs from the Nile. This was a judgment against Hedget, 
I believe is the name. That's the frog-headed goddess of birth. Now, frogs were thought to be sacred and not to be killed, so God had the frogs invade every part of the homes of the Egyptians, and when the frogs died, their stinking bodies were heaped up in offensive piles all through the land. The natural explanation is that any blight in the water that killed fish also could have caused frogs to leave the river and probably oh, die. Oh, that's a good point. Third plague, gnats. <laughs> I love that. It's like if they're all connected somehow, that would be even more incredible. Totally. The third and fourth are connected. Third plague, gnats, was a judgment on Set, the god of the desert. Now, unlike the previous plagues, magicians were unable to duplicate this one, and they themselves declared to the pharaoh, like, this is the finger of God, man. <laughs> Penn and Teller can't figure yeah, this out. exactly. No bullshit on this. <laughs> so this, this ties into the fourth plague, which was flies. This was a judgment on Huachit, the fly god. Now, of course, the Israelites were protected from all of this, so that was the other thing that was like, whoa, no swarms of flies are bothering them. What's going mm. on here? Now, the natural they had bug spray. Right, exactly. The natural explanation here is that the lack of frogs in the river would have let insect populations, you know, oh, sprout. Now, they were normally kept in check by the frogs, and then they are increased massively instead. So then the rot rotting corpses of fish and frogs could have also attracted significantly more insects to the areas near the Nile. Oh, my God. I love this shit. I know. God, learning is great. Let me interrupt with a quick anecdotal story. Okay. When I was in Hebrew school, I remember one of the teachers telling me about one of the elements of, like, Moses crossing the river, yeah. the Red Sea. And it was like, it's not how it is in the movies where he like slams his staff down and right. like a walls of water show up. They were like telling me that it was like a weird thing involving the Red Sea that mm -hmm. it could very quickly go from like being really shallow to being really deep. Mm -hmm. And they were saying that like the northern areas were all flooded at this mm -hmm. time and the south was all flooded. And so it's more like a natural thing that would have happened that it would have gone really shallow for a period of time, mm -hmm. allowed the Israelites mm -hmm. to cross and then grown very quickly and not allowed the people right. after them to cross. And I remember just thinking like, oh, so not God, right? right? And right. they were like, no, 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 God does the natural things. Right, but I mean, and I, I can appreciate that in the grand history of like lying to children. Right. I'm sort of like, <laughs> I'm more okay with the idea of being like, now there is a possibility that these accounts could have had some basis in truth. But again, like when the ultimate thing is like, but it's God that led the right. hand to do the thing. There's controversial accounts as to whether or not any of this shit went yeah. down in this regard. I just remember really feeling like they were like trying to be like, no, here's why God is real. And right. I was like, oh, that's why God is not real. Right, exactly. It makes exactly. total sense. For little, for little scientist Jeff, yeah. he's like, no. <laughs> okay, let's move on to the fifth plague, which is the death of livestock. This was supposed to be a judgment on the goddess Hathor and the god Apis, who I mentioned before. They were both depicted as cattle, though. God okay. protected his people from the plague while the cattle of the Egyptians died. And Egypt's economy was being destroyed at this time. And God is showing his peeps that, you know, eh, where it's at, man. <laughs> this ties into the sixth plague, which is boils. This was a judgment against several gods over health and disease, Sekhmet, Sunu, and Isis. Now, a natural explanation could be that the biting flies in the region, which transmit livestock disease, uh -huh. like their increase in numbers could have also sparked epizootics, which we've talked about. All of those bug diseases that mm -hmm. Contagion talks about, <laughs> including boils. I, I couldn't be loving this more. Good. Now, we're getting towards the end, and this is when shit gets a little bit even more crazy. So before God sent the last three plagues, Pharaoh was given a special message from God. These last three plagues, they're going to be worse than the others. They're designed to convince Pharaoh and all the people that there is none like me on all the earth. And Pharaoh was even told that he was placed in position by God so that God could show his power and declare his name through all of earth. And God warned Pharaoh to gather whatever cattle and crops remained from the previous plagues and shelter them from the coming storm. 
Pharaoh didn't do that. So <laughs> seventh plague comes, and that is hail. This was a judgment against Newt, the sky goddess, Osiris, the crop fertility god, and Set, the storm god. And this was unlike any that the Egyptians had seen before. This was accompanied by a fire which ran along the ground, and everything left out in the open was devastated by hail and fire. Again, children of Israel were miraculously protected. Natural explanation? could be a volcanic eruption resulting in showers of rock and fire. A volcanic eruption of the volcano Thera did occur in antiquity and could have caused some of the plagues if it occurred at the right time. Now, that particular volcano is 650 miles away from the northwest part of Egypt, and the eruption was controversially dated to about 1628 BC, which is one of the largest volcanoes on record. Mm -hmm. And even, like, global impacts have still been recorded. They've been found in the Nile Delta, tree ring frost scars in the bristlecone pines of the western United States, and a layer of ash in the Greenland ice caps. These are all dated to about the same time, like same chemical footprint as Thera. So it's like both demonstrating that those effects could be felt Mm -hmm. far away, but it's still believed that the the date of Thera was still like hundreds of years before Exodus is said to have happened. Okay. So it's not necessarily saying like there is the reason, but like, ash and fire and hail and like weird weather patterns as a result of volcanoes that is a thing yeah well i remember it was like a few years ago that i'm gonna not even pretend to try to pronounce the name (laughs) of it but there was a swedish volcano that's like you know those swedes and it like had such a huge eruption that airlines had to ground their flights and stuff because there was so much ash in the in the sky it went miles and miles and miles so it's like totally believable that a volcano that was really far away would have had severe effects absolutely like god-like effects (laughs) in the skies biblical 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 that's the word thank you joy okay (laughs) all right eighth plague locusts this, again, focused on Newt, Osiris, and Set, the, the crop gods or whatever. Now, the crops, wheat and rye, which had survived the hail, were now devoured by swarms of locusts. Mm. So that really fucked up the Egyptian economy as well. Now, according to the United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization, when they get hungry, a one-ton horde of locusts can eat the same amount of food in one day as 2,500 humans can. Wow. Uh, yeah. Holy I was like, shit. shit. So it's not saying some like, actually, what caused the locusts to do? They're just saying like, yeah, man, locusts fucking they just- suck. <laughs> but still, like, I would imagine that might have something to do with weather patterns, you know, like totally. animals respond to their climates and... There's also, like, sometimes, like, a perfect storm of things. Like, what are, cicadas only 17 years. Right, and, right, right. You know, the, they're they certain. They come out, and they, yeah. Mm-hmm, and if you get kind of like that combined with a volcano, combined totally. with a this, you're like, well. This has got to be God. This has got to be God. Fuck. It's got to be God. This has got to be God. Ninth plague, Darkness. This was aimed at the sun god. Is it Ra? Or it's spelled R-E, but I feel it's Ra. Isn't it R-A? Ra? But I've seen it spelled multiple ways. Oh. I think it's Ra. But we'll say Ra. Cool. The sun um, god. <laughs> now, for three days, the land of Egypt was smothered with an unearthly darkness, but the homes of the Israelites had light. Now, the natural explanation of this is the immediate cause of this plague is theorized to be the Hamsin, which is a south or southwest wind charged with sand and dust, which blows about the spring equinox and at times produces darkness rivaling that of the worst London fogs. Oh. Yeah. And then, you know, it doesn't say specifically why the Jews' homes were okay, but I would imagine maybe if they're just location, right? Right. You know, maybe there were like a couple accounts of darkness, but then other parts of the city or, Mm -hmm. you know. It's also sometimes, you know, it was like it was really dark over there and it was like kind of lighter over here. Right. Turns into like and there was perfect light. (laughs) Exactly. And and over there it was darkness. (laughs) It was in cloak of midnight. Right, right. Oh my gosh. Okay, the tenth and final plague, and this this is the big one. The big one. Death of the firstborn males. This was a judgment on Isis, the protector of children. 
ISIS. I know. Old school ISIS. <laughs> OG ISIS OG was ISIS. like, okay, she was good. <laughs> so this plague required an act of faith by the Israelites, right? You might have heard about this, where God commanded each family to take an unblemished male lamb and kill it. And the blood of the lamb was to be smeared onto the tops and the sides of their doorways, and the lamb was to be roasted and eaten that night. Now, any family that did not follow God's instructions would suffer this final plague. And he, like, only told the Jews? Yeah. Of course. So <laughs> God described how he would then send the death angel through the land of Egypt with orders to slay the firstborn male in every household, whether human or animal. Now, the only protection was the blood of the lamb on the door. When the angel would see the blood, he would pass over that house and leave it untouched. This is where the term Passover comes from. Mm -hmm. While the Israelites found God's protection in their homes, every other home in the land of Egypt experienced God's wrath as their loved ones died. And that's when Pharaoh finally released the Israelites. So Passover as, as a holiday, it's a memorial of that night in ancient Egypt when God delivered his people from bondage. Yeah, part of it is like when we eat the bitter herbs because of the bitterness that the Jews felt sure. back then, it's like, oh man, I really feel what they felt. Exactly. I know exactly what it was like. Tasting a bitter herb. Yeah. Do you sacrifice lambs and put that on your doorway? No. No, no we just, it's yeah. like, and then it's like, this thing represents the mortar that we right. should have. Uh, I, I just, know. you know, again, it's like, I don't want to make it like super judgy right now because it's like, I'm so fascinated by mythology. I love our history and I love symbolism, but there's got to be at least some like, yeah, I mean, you know, this is what they say. Right. <laughs> as, as opposed yeah. to being like, we are going to, we believe this to be completely right. true. Right. Anyway, here's a natural explanation for this. It's a little bit, iffy just because it's like how do you explain not only firstborn humans dying but firstborn animals as well so if the last plague indeed selectively tended to affect the firstborn it could be due to food polluted during the time of darkness either by locusts or by the black mold cladosporium and the assumption is that when people emerged after the darkness the firstborn would be given priority with food uh -huh. as was usual and they, so they would be more likely to be affected by any sort of, you know, foodborne toxin. Okay. Like I said, it's hard to say because how do you explain firstborn cattle dying or whatever? Right. But they're also saying that the Israelites, one of the reasons they might not have been affected is they generally eat food that was prepared and eaten very quickly, which would have made it less likely to be contaminated. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there is all sorts of stuff about prioritizing the firstborn mm -hmm. and that being the one who's going to own all the land and take the family name forward and stuff and, and so dudes, it yeah. does make sense that they would be like treated differently and that oops yeah you know oopsie daisy so after all of this pharaoh releases the israelites but then he gets you know his heart gets hardened against the israelites and he sends his chariots after them and that's when god opens this way through the red sea for the israelites and then mm -hmm. drowns all the pharaoh's armies there and the power of egypt was crushed moses is in the desert they're wandering and then the jews and were the jews happily ex ever, ever after, after exactly <laughs> <laughs> the jews lived happily ever after nothing ever went wrong again <laughs> that's my favorite segment that we've done probably the reason you feel that way is not only is it just like cool interesting sciencey shit right but it's learning about something that has been so ingrained mm -hmm. yeah man that's what they said god just, right. uh, or i completely had written off as being complete nonsense so it's like mm -hmm. it's great to not only shine some light on the reality here yeah. but then even for my fucking anti-theist brain right, you know right, getting right. in there and being like maybe there is some truth maybe these things actually did happen but it's just not god well that's the really cool thing is that most of these ancient stories are based in something right like somebody saw something something somewhere mm -hmm. and finding the logical explanations for those things is like i love it right I, there's i and just it also, love it <laughs> and it also doesn't make us any like less whole or rich no, or beautiful no. of people if anything i think it makes us like richer as mm -hmm. a history to just 
know that you know like these ancient peoples then they documented this shit and right. now in 2017 you and I are talking about it and then there's this other group of scientists that has been researching this shit so that I can google it and fucking <laughs> talk to you about it it's awesome Ugh, I love the world <laughs> I love it So in the movie, they have these like ancient underground mirror system where it's like they move the mirror into place and like a shaft of light from above like illuminates the whole thing because right. <laughs> it bounces from mirror to mirror to mirror to mirror. With the really delightful line, let there be light. <laughs> Speaking the of biblical references. Right? So Mythbusters did a pretty great episode about this mirror technique and they found that with the right kind of mirror, you can actually light up an underground area at least a little bit. So the way it's portrayed in the movie is like she moves the thing into place and then it's like the lights are on. Right. But the way this would actually be is like it would illuminate it a little bit, like maybe a thousandth as much as it is in the movie. Sure. And when your eyes adjusted, you could see ambient light down there better than you know you otherwise would if it was just a shaft of light to nothing. Using ancient polished metal rather than modern glass mirrors is actually better for this effect oh. because you want the beam to diffuse a little bit off of each mirror as it hits right. rather than being like a perfectly focused beam that never actually illuminates the room itself. This all said, wouldn't it be easier to have a torch? Yeah, exactly. Like this complicated setup to have right. like a very small amount of ambient light in an underground area versus fire. But yeah, so it's plausible that the system could work, but it's also like certainly not get as a, it's portrayed. Just get a light, bruh. Yeah, get a get a torch. Get a fucking torch. A British torch, a <laughs> flashlight. I well, didn't I didn't have any lines. Did you? Yeah, actually. It's better to be the right hand of the devil than be in his path. Oh, is that Benny the That's Benny, fucking, yeah, yeah, the asshole like has has that line. And it's an interesting perspective that may yet ruin humanity. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> so but, true. Well that's that that, you know, internal dilemma all the time where you're mm -hmm. like, should I do the right thing or should I avoid getting murdered? Yeah. And don't know. But what's crazy is <laughs> I found another interesting tidbit. So they, the actors were just shown pictures of Arnold Vosloo in full mummy gear to like spoof them. Like some just like walking at them with a picture of Arnold Vosloo who plays the mummy just being like. Whoa. And they're like, ah, oh, ah. oh, the mummy. Like that has the same effect as imagining a skeleton well, man. It's better than what they do today, which is just have them like yell at a tennis ball. Is that what they, that's yeah, what the motion Yeah, it's literally like, it's, they'll be like, see, the evil guy is this tennis ball. He's really big. Right. Like, look up. I almost wonder if that, that's almost more helpful because you're like, I can at least use my imagination as opposed mm. to this really silly picture right, of Arnold yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> anyway, I had a great time. I love Egypt. I love the mummy. Actually, I didn't mention this at the beginning. Seeing this movie when it first came out and then subsequently 700 times in high school mm -hmm. got me to sincerely convince my mom to try to let me study abroad in Egypt. Oh, like yeah? at, like s at 17, I was like, can I do a foreign exchange program? Just like one semester in Egypt. I really want to study some hieroglyphs. Yeah. And my mom looked into it. What a clown. It didn't end up happening? No, uh. because it's like, what the fuck business did I have to do going to Egypt for like You could have been the next Rachel Weiss. Uh, could have been, been you. In, I could have been in the mummy too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We would really like it if you could rate and review us on iTunes. That would make a huge difference for us if you're enjoying the show. Oh, yeah. Also find us at ohthatsathing.com and at ohthatsathing on Facebook and Twitter and Insta. I'm at It's a Joy of Mia on Twitter and Insta. We're doing it's Adventures Pluto. of Pluto Nash next. It's a rough go, guys. It, 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 get ready for the, one of the worst movies ever made. <laughs> 
We're going to talk about some fun stuff, though. But anyway. Yeah. Rate and review us on iTunes. You guys have a great week. You guys are the best. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.